the, what are the plans that God has for humanity? What are, what, what are the plans that God has for me? Well, I can, I can see that in the book of Romans. In the first chapters, we spoke about our problem, the problem with sin. And at, uh, in chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, we have seen God doing things. You know, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And that's, that's something that we need to always remember. I remember that uh, when, while, while we were still in Argentina, I decided to share with Zoe every night a couple of Bible verses. In Spanish, of course. It's easier. Yeah, try it. <laughs> um, and I, I remember, wow, I was amazed. My daughter, four years old, I mean, their, her um, ability to memorize Bible verses. And one of the very first things that I share with her is actually a theological principle. So what's the gospel? And she can tell you right now. You, you can go and ask her. And I, and I uh, taught this to her in, in English. So actually you can go and ask her. Okay? Uh, and she knows that the gospel is Jesus dying for our sins. That simple. Jesus, the solution to our problems, sin. And how? Dying. Dying for our sins. So that's what the book of Romans is all about. The gospel. Jesus dying for our sins. And then uh, being raised from the dead, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And we see the whole Trinity taking part of this big plan of God, redemption. But today we are in Romans 7. And I'm sorry, but you will have to wait till next Sunday to have that great sermon that Pastor Roy will bring on Romans 8, which is the most fabulous chapter, I believe, in the Bible. Because in Romans 1, 2, and 3, seems like everything is bad news. You know, we are sinners. We are the worst. You know, we have uh, given ourselves to sin, and we have done this and that, and then we go to... Chapter 4, and we see Jesus. Well, that's a relief. Chapter 5, and then in chapter 6, last week, I shared with you this, uh, this question, remember? Um, can we go back to our sinful lifestyle after tasting Jesus? No, the, the answer is, by no means. No, 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 no. So, we continue speaking about sin last Sunday, and today, we will continue speaking about sin. So, <laughs> yeah, Pastor Roy will have a... A great time speaking about the life of the Spirit next Sunday. But today, my work is to bring this word to you. So I put this title to today's sermon. is The Problem of Men. The Problem of Men. Probably all the sisters are like, Yoo-hoo, I knew it. Yeah, there is a problem with men. No. <laughs> the problem of humanity. All right? Our problem. We, 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 today we are going to be speaking about our problems. Okay? This is not the psychologist session, okay? It's not like we will get to speak about what is going on in our lives, you know, specifically, but we will get to see what is the root of all, of all our problems. How many of us have problems? Yeah. Come on. If you don't have a problem, pray for me at the end of the service, please. I need it. Okay. <laughs> we all have problems. You know? That's the truth. And that, uh, this is the first thing I think that we need to understand and be honest with ourselves. 
I'm not speaking here of our daily problems, okay? Like paying the bills, paying the mortgage, the arena in Calgary, whatever it may be, okay? Not those problems. We're speaking about the root of all our problems, the mother of all problems. And this is something that the Bible speaks about really clearly. In Romans, we see that God tells us his solution to the problem of men. And you know what is God's solution to our problems? To begin in us a whole new race, a new nature in Christ Jesus. But the wonder and the glory of, of it is that he starts this new race within the shell of the old. You know, it is not like you came to Jesus and now you have another body. It's still the same old body. I came to Jesus and I thought that I will have hair again. No, didn't happen. <laughs> and it won't. It is not like it's an external transformation or an external change. It's something inside. Something different inside of us. And that's the Holy Spirit. That is working in us. So Jesus, so God started this transformation of our that started the transformation of our lives and outwardly we remain unchanged our bodies are still subject to sickness and decay and death yet within a new man has begun god's solution is to end the curse of adam and to release within us the power of a new life the life of jesus himself so you can pat your chest and say i'm living the life of jesus Yes? Are you? I'm living the life of Jesus. That's the life that I want to live right now. The life of Jesus. There's no more space for Adam in me. It's the life of Jesus. The one that I want to experience daily. So, in verses 1 to 6, we will be speaking about the problem with the law. You know? Let's read verses 1 to 3. Romans chapter 7. If you have your Bible, open it in Romans 7. We are studying Romans 7, Romans 7 today. And let's read verses 1, to 3. One, 1, 2, and 3. It says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another, another man, she's not an adulteress. This is an illustration that Paul is using to, you know, to try to clarify this whole problem that we have, the problem of our relationship to the law. The first thing that we need to know is whom is Paul addressing here? It is only Jew, the Jewish nation, it is only Israel, because they, won, they were the one that got the law. No, he's speaking about humanity, all of us. You know that the law of God is written in your heart? That's what Romans chapter 2 says. You have the law of God written in your heart. How? It's called your conscious. You know, your conscious. You know... If something is right and you know if something is wrong, you know, you have a conscious. You have also um, um, sense common, or no, sorry, common sense. <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> sense common, sentido común. Okay, common sense. You have that, right? Yes, you do. Common sense, for example. It would it be common sense to go, I don't know, to play soccer 
in the in mid January outside to the field in in shorts, you know, when it's minus thirty, is that common sense? <laughs> someone would do it, right? <laughs> There's always someone that have no common sense. Yeah, just like that. But we have that inside of us. It's that law. God put that inside of us. You know, we know if something is right. We know if something is wrong. How many times have we said this phrase? That's not fair. Yeah? That's not fair. Based on what? In your own understanding of what is fair or what is not. Your own law or the law that God has has, uh, written in your heart. So... When we speak about the law, it is important that we understand this. It is not only the 618 commandments that we find in the Old Testament, or the Ten Commandments. It's not only that. It is, the, it is that uh, unspoken standard of behavior that we all share. So this shows, shows us one thing. The law really is everywhere, and it is embedded in the hearts of men, and, and its true purpose is to condemn failure. That's the purpose of the law. To condemn failure. In other words, when you and me do wrong, the law condemns us. It points out our failures and punishes wrongdoing. If, for example, you take Stoney at uh, 130, 140, and you are pulled over by, by who? The police, right? And the police will knock your window. You will have to roll the window down. And then they will ask you for what? License, registration. I don't know, because that never happened to me. You know? <laughs> License, registration. And then you show everything to the policeman. And then the policeman will, will tell you what? Your failure. You broke the law. So you will have to face what? A, a punishment. You know, the law condemns our failures. It's, that, it's just like that. So, the law also has its effects. Do you know that the effect of the law is to discourage people? Are you happy to receive a ticket? Never, Never right? Never. You know? Of course not. Are you happy after, after, I don't know, getting a ticket, a big ticket, after, I don't know, because you were 130, 140? No. You're not happy. You are actually discouraged and you start thinking, oh no, what I'm going to do now? This is a lot of money, you know? I feel so embarrassed. Whatever. So that's what the law uh, brings to us. Condemnation, discouragement. But there's a lot of people that are still living under the law. When we speak about the law now in, in, in a spiritual sense, we're speaking about this uh, standard that we have of you know, how, to, how to go to God, how to have a relationship with Him. And there's two ways. One way is Jesus, the other way is the law. The problem with Christianity is that many of us, instead of taking this way, who is Jesus and His grace, we take the other way. We believe that it's, about, uh, it's on our performance, you know. So we get caught into religion. You know, I'll, I'll go to church, I'll do this and that, and then I will have a, a good relationship with Jesus. But that's not enough. It's, we, we, we are speaking about a relationship with Jesus, not a, you know, uh, a performance. You know, not just something from the outside, you know. I, uh, I want to raise my hand so everybody can see me. I want to pray all loud because I want everybody to think that uh, I'm spiritual, whatever. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong. 
No, but I'm just speaking about the motivation of our hearts when we do it. That's the problem. So when we take the other road and we go after a religion, we are living under the law. Now, I want to share with you four signs of people who are still under the law who haven't yet experienced the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the life of the Spirit. These are the four, the, the four signs that I found. Number one, these kind of people, they are always proud of their record. They are always proud of their record. In certain areas of their lives, they see defeat, and so they attempt to get people's attention off this area of failure and onto areas where they feel they have succeeded. That's what they try to do, you know. I have been there, you know, I've been there. You know, trying to point out my records, my, I don't know, the things that I have accomplished. You know, trying to hide my failures. That's because I was living under the law. Number two, they are always critical of others. That doesn't happen here in our church, okay? Don't worry. (laughs) That doesn't happen to us. They are always critical of others. Now, the question is, why are people critical of others? Well, if you succeed in getting your friend's eyes fixed on other people, they won't look at you. You will create a diversion. You know? It is like you in your, in your workplace trying to point out the failures of your co-workers to your foreman. So, your, your foreman or your manager, he will not see your failures, what you are doing wrong. You know? Oh, I don't know what you're going to do with that guy. He's always late. And you, you too. <laughs> we realize that we are living under the law when we behave like this. Number three. They are always reluctant to admit any error or fault in their own lives. If you try to correct them, they get mad. They get mad. They don't take correction properly. They don't like to be corrected. They hate to admit defeat because that means they must change. That's why they hate it. Number four, they often experience outward, outward symptoms of depression, discouragement, and defeat. You know? It's, it's, it's just the way they live. The, the law is, is doing its work in their lives, condemned, con- condemning, and that sense of condemnation produces in them depression. You know, when we base our lives... On performance, that's what we get. You know, we feel depressed because we are just failing. We are not reaching our goals. And we feel like if we don't reach our goals, we are not good enough. Then we feel bad about ourselves. Or we try to criticize others, you know. So that people won't see our own failures. But there is a way out of this lifestyle. That's not good for you. That's not good for me. We don't want to live like that, right? The way it out is Jesus. He did it all. He did it all. I just need to come before him and repent of this sinful behavior and now have a relationship with him. A relationship based on grace and forgiveness. So the way out from this law mentality in verses 4 and 6, 4, 5 and 6, this is what Paul says. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. 
For, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to, to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In the first six verses of Romans 7, Paul presents the way out, the way to be free from the law and its condemnation. Now remember the illustration, and this is one of the hardest illustrations to interpret in the Bible. The one that we see in Romans verses 1, uh, 2, and 3. In, the, in those verses, Paul is giving us an illustration, and it's about a woman. Remember? The woman that is Mary? Okay, that woman is you and me. Represents us. She has two husbands, one following the other. Now, the point of this story that Paul is sharing is not that the woman has two husbands, okay? It is not like you can be married to Jesus on Sunday and married to your flesh and sin on, for, from Monday to Saturday, all right? Doesn't work like that. God, Jesus wants, wants us to be faithful to Him. So, the point is. What the death of the first husband does to the woman's relationship to the law. Now, not what it does directly to the woman herself, but what it does to her tie to the law. If the first husband dies, Paul says the woman is released from the law. Not only is she released from her husband, but she's also released from the law. Remember that the law brings condemnation. If her husband dies, the law can say nothing to her as to what she can do and who she can be with. She is released from the law. The death of the husband makes the woman dead to law. She's no longer married, a married woman, but a widow. Can you see the point there? Yeah? Can you see where, where we are going? Now, who is the first husband if the woman represents you and me? The first husband, according to the context, and we spoke about that last Sunday, is our old nature, is Adam. We learn about this in Romans 6, that our old nature, our Adamic nature, our flesh, was put to death with Jesus. That's why your first husband is dead. You are not tied to sin anymore in Christ Jesus. Sin has no authority over your life anymore. Now, who has the authority is the Holy Spirit. And we speak about this, saying that, that we are dead to sin doesn't mean that sin is dead inside of us. We're still fighting. We are still struggling with sin every day. That's why we need a connection, a relationship with the Holy Spirit every day. We need to surrender before Him our souls, our emotions, our thoughts, our mind, our, our will, everything to Him. In order to walk in holiness. But it's important that we realize this. Our first husband, the flesh, sin, is dead. Alright? And you are released from, from Him. Now, that means also that you are released and free from the law, from condemnation. Amen? We were linked to this first husband. We were married to, to him. And we couldn't get away from, from him. 
And just like in a regular marriage, we used to live like him. You know that we married couples, we, we have, you know, some habits that are similar, that we learn from one another, right? Maybe if you're with your husband or with your wife here, you can be thinking on one of them, one of those habits that you guys share. You know, something that you guys do. And it, uh, it is like we act like our wives, and our, uh, and, and, uh, our wives, they, they start acting like us. You know? Why? Because we influence one another. That's what used to happen with us in sin. We were under the influence of sin all the time before Jesus. We were tied with this first husband. But now Jesus, this is what he did for us. The woman cannot have two husbands at once. She cannot have a second husband while she's married to the first. We can't have Jesus and continue living in sin. She's stuck with number one, you know, before, and she has to share his lifestyle. As we have already seen, that lifestyle is one of bondage and corruption and shame and death. Now, if this woman, while she's married to her first husband, tries to live with another, she will be called, it says there, an adulteress. You know, and there's something uh, interesting about the word adultery in the Bible. It's related to the word uh, hypocrisy, you know? Hypocrisy. When you and me, before Christ, we used to live in sin, we know that we were just a bunch of hypocrites. We were just pretending all the time. That's what the law makes us do. Brings shame, condemnation. That's what sin brings. But now we see Jesus. And in verse 4, Paul says, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. The key word here is, you, have, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. And the body of Christ refers to the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. He died in a body. He came to take a body that he might die. That's that's uh, the greatest miracles of all. That's what C.S. Lewis says, that the greatest miracles of all is not the resurrection. It's actually the incarnation of God, you know, becoming one of us. God taking a body and being a man in order to die for us. That's the biggest miracle of all. It's amazing. So Jesus came. On the cross, the Lord Jesus was made sin for us. He took our place, a sinful humanity on the cross. In other words, he became that first husband. Woo! That's the biggest plot twist ever. Yeah. Wow. God's, God the Father said, we have a problem. We need to kill this man. <laughs> Sounds bad, I know. But we need to put an end to this Adamic flesh in our beloved children. How are we going to do it? Jesus, you are going there. So he took the very uh, same Adamic nature of us without sin. It's hard to explain, okay? But he, the book of Hebrews says that he had the, our same nature. You know, he endured the same temptations. But without sin. 
Why he took our full humanity, 100% men, in order to put an end to the reign of sin and death in humanity, in order to put an end to this first husband. So, and, and after this, because of this, the law has nothing to say to us anymore. We are free to be, to be married to another husband. And who is this? Who is that second husband that Paul is speaking here? It's Jesus himself. The first husband was Adam. How Jesus defeated Adam? Through his crucifixion. The crucified Jesus. Now, the second husband, Paul says, to whom we are married right now, and we have a covenant with him, and we even have a seal of that covenant. It's the Holy Spirit. That second husband is the risen Christ. The risen Jesus. Even Paul, when he was in prison, he wrote Philippians, and he wrote this. He shared with us his more pers- his most personal prayer in verse 10, Philippians 3.10, it says that, that, I, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He wanted to know the power of the risen Christ, the power of his resurrection. And I have some news for you, that same power is living inside of you. You know what happens in the kingdom of God? Whatever, whatever our, our husband has is us. His peace is us. His blessings are, are, are ours. Everything he has, everything he possesses, Jesus, our, our, our second husband, is also us. It's ours. It's for us. It's ours. So, are you needing peace in your life? You know where, you know where to look. Look to heaven. There is your husband, Jesus, the husband of his church. That's what Paul is saying here in the first six verses of Romans 7. He is saying that we are tied, we are tied with the risen Jesus. According to verses 5 and 6, we died to the law through the death of Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus was crucified, that first husband, Adam, died. And now we are free from the condemnation of the law. So now, when we seek to be righteous and to do righteous things and to be loving and kind, we are no longer hypocrites. We are no longer judged by the law. That's the point that Paul is making here. Verses 7 to 25, I divided today's sermon in two sections. The, the, the first one was the problem with the law. The second is the problem, the problem with sin. We know that the gospel is all about freedom. Amen? Amen? It's all about freedom. You are free. God have set you free in Christ Jesus. Now, now, very often we Christians, we miss this freedom by doing one of these two things. Number one, by giving ourselves once again to the bondage of sin. Face, falsely believing that we can go ahead and continue sinning. Because we know that God will forgive us. We talked about that last Sunday. That's not true. That's not correct. That won't happen. We need to show the change that have taken place inside our hearts. And by a, the, the, the second um, problem we have and that is that so, so many times we try to handle the problem with sin by trying our best to do what God wants. 
You know how? Through our willpower and dedication. You know? We put our, our trust in ourselves instead of putting our trust in God. You know what is the most powerful prayer that I can, that, that, that I can uh, give to God? Is this, God, I can't do it. God, I don't know how to do it. God, I don't have the strength, nor the power, nor the ability to do it. Paul understood this, and that's why he wrote, When I'm weak, he is strong. In, in, in my weakness, in my weakness, he shows his glory. Are you longing to see God's glory in your life? You know what you need to do. I know what I need to do. I need to come before him and say, God, I can't do it. I simply can't. I'm done trying. I can't. I can't make this marriage work. I can't uh, connect with my children anymore on my own. I need you. And that's when, you know what? Miracles happen. That's the key to miracles. Your desperation. <laughs> when you are desperate, that moves the Father's heart. And He does something in your favor. But if you continue trying on your own, you continue believing in yourself, you continue, you know, trusting in your strength, in your connections, in your knowledge, whatever it may be, you're, you will just fail. You, you will just fail. You will face you will face failure. Now, that's what Paul is saying right here. He's saying that we need to be worried and we, we need to be careful, I'm sorry, with legalism. So what then is the purpose of the law in our Christian life? There are many Christians who say, I'm a Christian, say by grace, the law has no meaning to me at all. Is that correct? No, we need God's word. Paul never speaks this way, and neither does Jesus. In fact, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount that the law abides forever. We need God's commandments. We need to know what to do in life. We need to know His will, and that's through the Bible. Paul's own experience with the law and with sin, we can see those experiences in verses 7 to 11. Let's read. Verse 7 says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Here Paul is employing the past tense in order to describe to us his experience before he became a Christian. Paul, you know, he was born and raised in a Jewish home. Um, he was... Uh, he. He actually had the great privilege of studying at, the Bible says, at the, the feet of one of the most important scholars in that time. And that uh, he was raised a Pharisee. So he was, you know, since his childhood, he was in this kind of shell, you know. He didn't know anything about maybe the Roman 
temptations out there, you know, the Roman culture, how sinful it was. And this is similar to, to what many believers who were born in a home with strong Christian uh, roots, maybe they experience. There is a moment in life, I believe, in which we all have to get out of our shells and face the world. I know that. I know that, uh, that my children w- will have to, to experience this on their own. I know that I have to experience this. I was raised also in a Christian home. And that's exactly what happened to Paul. It's, it's um, at this moment that we feel perhaps for the first time the force of the prohibition of the law. And with it the temptation to trespass it. And this is what Paul discovered by his own. In a certain stage of his life, something changed. Something happened. And then Paul found himself awakened to discovering that he was coveting. No matter where he turned. In verse 12 and 13 he says, So the law is holy, and the commitment is holy, and righteous and good. He's saying, it's not the lawful, it's the sin, the sin that still lives in my flesh. In verse 13 he says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. measure. That is what the law is for. It's, it's to expose the fact that this evil force is in every one of us, waiting only for the right circumstance in order to spring into being, overpower, overpower our will, and carry us into things we never dreamed we will do. That's what sin is trying to do in our lives, just waiting for the right moment. Do you know? To write moment. You see that in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph, he wanted to honor God, but he had to face so many temptations. He had to flee from sexual immorality. You, you see that in the life of uh, Moses, Abraham. Jesus was tempted for 40 days. And we also face temptations. The thing with temptations is that we need to flee from temptation. Not try to overcome it. You know, we, we need to be wise. We need just to be wise. For example, if I know that, I don't know, my, my flesh um, is longing that uh, I will fulfill its desire of, of, you know, watching porn. I need to be wise. I will not have a phone with me at night. I will put it away, you know. Or whatever, or the computer, or I will not stay late watching TV. You know, we need to be wise. The Holy Spirit, needs to, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to give you the right strategies in order to overcome temptations. You know, and that is not, you know, we don't need to ask pastors, Pastor, what I need to do. You need to ask the Holy Spirit, He will give you the answer. He knows you. He, he knows your, your situation, your house, your family. So he will help you. So you can grow in holiness. And obedience. This is what Paul is speaking in these verses. Now in verse 14, he speaks about the battle with our flesh. In verse 14, until the very end of the chapter, the same experience is described again, but this time in terms of how we feel when it happens. In this section, Paul switches to the present tense. He's not speaking anymore about his past experiences. He's speaking about his 
present experiences. Speaking about Paul, all right? He suffered temptations too, you know? Just like you and me. That's what he's, he's doing right here. And I love his honesty, you know? I believe that great, the greatest leaders are those who, um, who are not trying to hide their failures. They are just honest. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. Honesty. You know what uh, the next generation is longing to see in our generation? Honesty. That we get to, to say, I don't have the answer to that. Yeah, I'm not trying to live by appearances, you know. So we, we see Paul speaking about this in verse uh, 14. In this section, Paul switched to the present tense to show us his present uh, temptations. Let's break this passage because it's long into a couple of points. The first one that I want to share with you is verse 14 and 15. It says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am, I am of the flesh, soul under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. In verse 14, Paul states that the law is spiritual. As we have seen before, human beings are spirits. You know, we are not just a body, we are spirits. You know, we are spirit. When I fell in love uh, with Megan, I fell in love of, you know, with her spirit, soul and body. Not only her body, alright, gentlemen? It is not only about that. Spirit, soul, body. You need to know. You need to know what is, what is the spirit of the other person. How, how she deals with, or he deals with, her, with his emotions. The soul and the body. So we are, the Bible says that we have these three parts. Spirit, soul and body. All of us. So here Paul is saying, the law, my friend, is spiritual. But, he says, I am of the flesh. He's recognizing what? That he's battling and he's struggling with his flesh, with his soul, with his body. The, the, the ESV puts it of the flesh and the NIV translates this as, but we, we are also carnal. If we rush to read this passage, we may think that Paul was confused, right? When he wrote it. He might, he, he might be confused, but that's not the case. Because if we compare this with chapter 6, with, uh, chapter six makes no sense. But here Paul is simply describing what happens when a Christian tries to live under the law. That's how you will feel if you live your Christian life under the law, legalism, and not by the Spirit. Romans 8. Next week, be here. Yeah. <laughs> when a Christian, by his dedication and willpower and determination, tries to do what is right in order to please God, he's living under the law. Anytime you try to change something in your life and you don't change that through prayer, man, you are failing. You're just trying to bring a change through your willpower, dedication, and determination, and you will see that you will not get the results that you're expecting. Will not work. You need God to intervene. You need God to do the work with you, together. A partnership with God. In verse 15, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not, I'm sorry, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Here we see Paul saying, or sharing with us, his two problems. Number one, 
I do not do what I want. Second, I do the very thing I hate. And in verse 16 to 20, Paul takes the second problem and shows us what happens in our, in our own experience. It says, verse 16, Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. The law is good. So now it is, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now take a look at how Paul described it. It is not me who is doing it. It's the sin that dwells in me. Because he knows that he, in his spirit, he's united with Christ. He's one with Christ. He can't go back to live fully in sin. It's just the flesh that is trying to, to you know, to um, get a hold of him. This is what Paul is saying here. And then, and then he says, so uh, it, is, it is no longer I who do it. It is sin living in me. You know, it seems like there's a division within Paul here. But it's, that's not the case. As human beings, we have within us a spirit, a soul, and a body. And these are distinct one from the other. And we see this battle happening in his soul and in his body. By his spirit, his spirit is just united with Christ. You have been saved by grace. Your spirit is one with the Lord. The Holy Spirit lives inside you, inside your spirit. Now, what is happening in your life is that the Spirit is battling in your favor. He's, uh, he's in this war against your flesh. And how many years that will take? All your life. All your life. That's what the Bible calls sanctification. You know what happened on the cross? When you came to Jesus, you were justified. You are saved. From that day, you will live what the Bible calls sanctification. Till your very last breath, you will be purified and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. But you know what is your reward? Your glorification. When the Lord called your name and you will be called and summoned, summoned to heaven. And you will see him face to face. And he will say, come in, faithful servant. Take your part. The problem with us is that we only think about this. <laughs> Look, today you are closer to death than you were yesterday. One day closer. I don't want to bring bad news, but my friend, that's the reality. One day, heaven will call your name. You know what we need to do with this life? Prepare ourselves for the life, for the true life that we will experience in heaven. This is just an exodus. There is a promised land for you. Here Paul is saying, during this exodus, you will face tribulation, you will face problems, you will, you will have to battle against your flesh, but you are not alone. I don't like when Christian says, I'm alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Jesus is with you all the time. He's the faithful husband that never leaves, never leaves you. Even more, you're not alone. You know why? Because you are part of a body. 
when you look at at uh, Christianity in the Bible, Christianity is not about individuals. It's about a body. Oh no, salvation is just in, in, is something that you do on your own and then you can keep your relationship with God as, as you want it. At home, that's okay. You know, listening to a podcast, podcast once in a while, that's okay. No. You need a body. Jesus will come to be united with his body, with his bride, with the church. If you read the Bible, it's more about uh, God writing to a body of believers, a group of people, and not just to individuals. That was in the Old Testament. You know, with some specific people. Now we're speaking about New Testament. New Testament, you know what? It's about us. All of us. Every one of us together. And Paul is hitting Romans. He's saying, I just want you, Romans, to understand that you have been that you have no part anymore with the law. But now you are under a covenant with this faithful husband, the risen Christ, and that covenant is grace. In verse 20, 21 to 25, Paul, Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of, of God in my inner being, his spirit. You know, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am. In other words, we can say here, this is me. I'm a failure. I can't do it on my own. I can't by myself. And then comes the solution. Paul raises this question again, just like he have done, you know, he have been doing this for like three chapters, raising questions, bringing arguments, bringing conclusions. And then he says this, who will deliver me from this body of death? So, you know, that desperate um, shout of help. I need help. I need help. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25 is the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It's bringing the reality. I'm still learning. My friend, you are still learning. How to walk in Christ. How to walk in the Spirit. You are learning. I'm learning. You are learning. We are all learning. That's life. In Romans 8... Paul shows that, what, that the means by which we are delivered daily from the indwelling power of sin is, in verse 4, by walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So taking better decisions, making better, better decisions. To be wise, you know. If I know that if I go this way, I will face temptation, I will not take that way. I will go the other, the other way. Number two, by not setting our minds on the things of the flesh, but on the things of the Spirit. Verse 5. That's how you win the, this battle that I have been describing to you this morning. Walking to God, setting your mind on God, not in the things of the flesh. And what are the things of the, of the flesh? Pleasures, the things of this world. What is filling your mind? What, what are you reading? What are you watching? What, 
What are you listening? You know, what is filling your heart right now? And finally, by the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God who dwells in us. And how we get to have this connection with the Holy Spirit? Prayer. Listening, prayer. Reading His Word. Having a time with Him every day. We all want to do right. You know, we are determined to do right. But sometimes we find out that we simply can't. Why we can't? Because we try to do it on our own. In verse 24, Paul, he's, uh, he's saying, Rich man that I am, who will deliver me, deliver me from this body of death? In his own experience, Paul was brought to the ultimate solution to the problem of men. You know what is the ultimate solution? To come to the end of ourselves. To accept our spiritual bankruptcy and receive God's help. Stop trying. Start believing. Surrender. Everything before Him. When we see how wretched sin makes us, then we are ready for the answer, which comes immediately. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He is the answer. Who will deliver me from this body of death? The Lord Jesus has already done it. And we are no longer under the law. The fact is that we are united to the risen Christ Jesus. And His life and power is active and alive inside of us. And that, my brother and my sister, that's the solution to the problem of man. That's the solution to our problems. A name of five letters. Jesus. He's the solution. So I invite you to take a moment before him today. I invite you to bow down your head, close your eyes, concentrate in what God is speaking to you this morning. Make the most of this time before God. And just think before his presence about your own life right now. Have you, have you been uh, trying to do better? Are you in desperately need of a change in your life? You know how the change will come? When you and me, we come before Jesus and we surrender all. And we say, I'm just a wretched man. I can't do anything. I need Jesus. He will deliver me. Now, my question today to you is, what are you thinking about yourself are you seeing yourself as a failure, as a poor believer who cannot experience victory? Or are you seeing yourself as a free son of God who is united to Jesus and has access to the power of Christ to live in victory? There is a Rema word that I received this week from God. And that word is victory. I believe that we, the church, we have victory doesn't matter what, what is going on right now in our present situation. We have victory in Christ Jesus. And that is a yes and amen. Victory is yours. Victory is mine. Because it doesn't depend on my performance. It depends on what Jesus has already done on the cross. And what he has done. Rising again from the dead. Jesus is my victory. And Jesus is your victory.
You have the right to walk in victory. You have the right to walk in the authority of God the Father. You have the right to step up and say, Sin, you have no dominion anymore over my life. There's nothing you can do anymore. My life, my life belongs to Jesus. I'm married to Jesus. I'm tied to Jesus. I'm united to Jesus. And I will live now in victory. And you can come before him today. I invite you to do it. And present to him your situation. He's faithful. And he can bring a change to your situation. To your reality. He's not a small God. He's a big God. And to him everything is possible. So pray today and ask the Lord to help you overcome any temptation or sinful habit in your life. Ask His forgiveness if you have tried to handle things on your own through your willpower and self-determination and surrender your life to Him once more. And today I invite you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to a spiritual union you are enjoying with Jesus right now. And as Paul did, let's give God thanks for Jesus. He is the solution to our problem. Heavenly Father, I pray that today you bless us. I pray, Lord, for your church. We are in desperately need of you. Lord, we want to surrender before you. Lord, just like Paul did, we want to say that we are just wretched men and we need you. You are the one that will deliver us. You are our deliverer. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you come and that you impart to us a a renewed revelation of our union and, and relationship with Jesus. Holy Spirit, come and bless us. Yes. 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 And the Lord is bringing you to a place where you will be able to realize there are things in your life that need to be changed and maybe they haven't changed so far because you have tried on your own. But today is the day that He will change things. You know God likes to change things. You know that Jesus likes to do that. He wants to do that in you. He wants to do that in me. Lord Jesus, we need you. We pray, Jesus, that you will come and you will help us. We ask for your forgiveness. Because we have tried so many times of handle. Uh, we, we, we have tried to handle things on our own. And now we realize that it's uh, that's just a mistake. We need to bring everything before you. And you will give us the wisdom and the knowledge to know what we need to do. Lord, I pray if someone here needs a miracle today, that you will give that miracle. That you will see our condition. We're just fragile men and we need you. In our weak, you are strong. In our weakness, you are strong. I pray, Lord, that you give us that miracle. That you will bless us. That you will, Lord, outpour your spirit outpour your spirit upon us and we will leave this place with a renewed experience with you Jesus 
Oh, thank you, Lord. I invite you to, to have a moment with God to pray. Pray. If you are with someone today, you can pray with that person. If it's your husband, your wife, take a moment. Let the, the word of God go deeper inside your spirit.